Can I ask who was playing the organ? Thank you. It wasn't Mark. We get to see all the rest. Let's make sure we can see him as well. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for bringing us here this morning. Please bless us now in your name we pray. Amen. I want to start off this morning with some statistics to share with you. In America, the average charitable contribution per American, the average American gives 3.1% to some sort of charity, the average American here in the United States. Those who make $10,000 or less, which is well below the poverty line, I didn't know there were people that made $10,000 or less. I, didn't, I don't know very many people make that little. But they, on average, people that make $10,000 or less here in the United States, they give on average 5.2% of their income. So that means those who have less give more on average or percentage-wise than those who have more. Now, 3.1% is the number for all Americans, no matter what uh, uh, religious affiliation or non-religious affiliation. So, so atheists and, and Christians and everybody together, secularists, no matter who it is, agnostics, everybody together, the average gift is 3.1%. Well, we'd expect then that the average gift for the Christian is, is, is higher, and that's what actually pulls up the number, right? I mean, We'd expect Christians to give more. After all, giving is, is part of our subculture of Christianity, the system of the church. The, 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 the man aspect of the system is, is sustained by the generosity of people. It functions based on the generosity of people. So what about Christians? What is the average gift for Christians in the United States? The average Christian gives only 2.58% of their salary. That means that Christians, on average, give less than the atheist, than the agnostic, than the Buddhist, than the Hindu, than the Muslim. On average, 2.58%. In other words, the total number is brought down, the average is brought down by the Christians. Kind of interesting. Charitable giving. Brought down by the Christians. Well, someone may say, well, Adventists, though. Adventists, we give, we give better. We give better than that. And that's true. Adventists are a little bit better givers. I don't know how much we should be bragging, though. Although we lead the way amongst Christianity, we lead the way at a whopping 4% on average of our salary. So those making less than $10,000 within society, no matter what their faith background, give on average more than the Adventists, than the average Adventists. Christians or non-Christians. But here's the thing. While many may below, be below average in our giving, there are many that are above average shoppers, above average spenders, above average consumers. Last week we talked about being rich. This two-part series is about being rich. Not getting rich, but being rich in a way that honors God. We wanna be rich in a way that honors God. And we talked about how we all really are rich. Everyone in this room, in many ways, is rich comparatively to the rest of the world. 
Comparatively to the rest of the world, if we think about it, we are rich. We, had rich, we have rich opportunities. We have the opportunity for, for certain levels of education that other parts of the world do not have. We have rich opportunities in just the fact that we get to be here in this building, that, that many parts of the world do not possess those opportunities. We have rich opportunities in, in the sense that many of us arrived here today in a car. In fact, I would say the vast majority of us arrived here in a car, and not many got up at 5 in the morning to make sure they were able to get here on time by walking to church. Anyone get, leave at 5 in the morning to make sure you walk to church? No one. So we are rich comparatively, considering the fact that only 3% of the world owns a car. And many of us not only own one car, but we have actually two cars. And we have these things. We talked about how we have these, these houses for our cars, which is a very strange thing in the rest of the world. Houses that we call what? Garages. And we have houses for our cars, garages. And many of us have a third house that's a garage, but it's not for our for our cars, it's for that stuff that we can't seem to part with, stuff that we affectionately refer to as junk. We have, a, we have a house, folks, for our junk. I mean, comparatively in the world, we are rich. We also talked about how we play this rich person game. We have these things called walk-in closets and how we go into the closet and we do circles, kind of like ring around the rosy. You know, ring around the rosy and we touch all the clothes and then we have this, this line that you say at the end of the game, I have nothing to wear. Oh, you've played it before. You know that game. So we play these, these, these rich games. Comparatively, we are rich. Yet in spite of these many evidences that we are rich, we don't feel rich. And we talked about that the reason we don't feel rich is because we have bought into the lie of society that we need more material things in order to be content. Even though for the Christian, truly, contentment comes only in knowing and understanding who Jesus Christ is. Well, this lack of contentment has caused us to become experts in consumption. Anyone else? Agree with me that, that in our society, we have, uh, we have a problem with consumption. Anyone else? Overconsumption. Anyone else agree with that? I mean, how many of us have heard conversations? The federal government just spins, 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 spins. Anyone ever heard this before? Maybe you don't want to raise your hand because you don't want to show what news broadcast you watch. But we hear this all over the place. The government just spins, spins, spins. Well, it doesn't just stop with them. It goes right on down to us as well. It is why wealthy people go into debt. Because oftentimes the more people make, the more they use on themselves. So therefore, even though we are rich, we are not rich in a way that honors God because we are not living content lives. Rather, we're living lives of consumption. The statistics I shared with you all are proof, are proof of this, that we are not living necessarily in a way that honors God. We are not being rich in a way that honors God. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Evelyn read 1 Corinthians chapter 9, which is about finance as well, but we want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And I want us to look at verse 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 11. Paul here writing to the church in Corinth. He says, you will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You will be enriched in how many ways does it say? In every way. Therefore, that would include our finances. I'm not talking about prosperity theology. I'm not saying if you know Jesus, if you love Jesus, that you're gonna get a helicopter or a Rolls Royce. 
if that's the theology you want to hear, then this is not the, the right church for that. That's not what we're talking about. The Bible says we're enriched in every way, including within our finances, not so that we can spend more on ourselves, but so that we can then be generous. Some of your Bibles say on every occasion. Mine says in every way. So that we can be generous in every way. And the Bible says that this generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Imagine being known as such a generous, being such a giver, that when people see you, they would say, man, I just give God thanks for you because of your generosity. That wouldn't be a bad reputation to have. See, to be rich in a way that honors God is to be a giver, but not just any giver. Not necessarily a 2.8% giver or a 3.1% giver or even a 4% giver. To be rich in a way that honors God is to be a rich giver. What is a rich giver? A rich giver is someone who gives, someone who, as they receive more from God, they then give more. I want to pause for just a second, and I want you to think about your giving. Does your giving reflect, does your giving reflect the spirit of the verse that we just read? That the more I've received, as I've been enriched in every way of my life, then I've looked for opportunities to be even more generous in every area of my life. Or do you struggle with the same thing that I struggle with? As my income increases, my giving, percentage-wise, stays the same. Yes, the actual dollar goes up, but my percentage-wise of giving stays the same. Yet I find that my spending percentage goes up. You don't have to admit to this, but, but, but I know I told a story last week about how I received a raise in my income, actually my first income out of college, and what did I do? I went and got a more expensive house. My giving stayed the same, my 10% to tithe, my couple percent to, to offerings, those all stayed the same, but my percentage of giving to my housing went up, right? My percentage of giving to, uh, I think it was Visa at the time, went up. These things this percentage of, of spending goes up. Does our, does our lives reflect the text that, that as we are enriched in every way, including our finances, that then we, we in every way look to be more generous. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous in every way. That means that the more that I get, the more that you get, the more rich we become, we are to become then more rich in our giving. So how are we gonna learn how to be rich givers? How do we learn how to be rich givers? If, if we've not been giving anything, it's hard to, to just jump into to rich giving. If we've been giving, giving at, at one specific level for, for 20, 30, 40 years, it's hard to jump to a next level. It takes practice, it takes time. But if we're going to learn to become rich givers, then we must learn to become intentional givers. We must become intentional givers. We don't want to be after-the-fact givers. We don't want to be second-thought givers. We don't want to be leftover givers. We want to become intentional givers. Now, most of us are intentional spenders. Now, some of us have a problem also with spontaneous spending and intentional spending. We got both barrels, you know, loaded and doing wrong. But, but, but most of us are, are more likely to be intentional spenders but not intentional givers. What do I mean by this? How many times have we heard and said, you know, I really want to buy that car or I really want to get that house 
We're going to have to save in order to make that happen. We're going to have to save in order to make that happen. Or, or what about this? As soon as I get my tax refund, I'm going on vacation. Anyone ever heard something like that? We're intentional. We're thinking ahead. I'm getting that money. I'm going to put that money aside for a vacation. Not many of us, though, not many of us, it is very rare that people plan or scheme or strategize to give. How rare is it that we hear someone say, if I just cut back here, if I sell all of this stuff, then I'll be able to give all of this away to God. How often is it that we, that, we, that we hear people saying, you know, if I don't buy this for myself right now, then that's money I can take to church this Sabbath and give it to the Lord. How often do we hear anyone or even ourselves saying that? We don't scheme or even plan usually to give, but we do plan to buy. Why is this? I have a theory on this, and if you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 and verse 35 in the book of Acts, we see a few places where there are red letters of Jesus. These are the actual words of Jesus, Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. And the last phrase in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, words that were spoken by Jesus, the scriptures tell us it is more blessed to give than to what? It is more blessed to give than to receive. I don't see this as just a statement. I see this as actually a promise from God. How is it a promise? It is a promise in that Jesus is telling us, he's assuring us that if we are givers, then our lives will be more blessed. Our lives will be better, in other words. We could say, it is better to give than to receive. It is better to give than to receive. Think about if people actually trusted this. Think if I trusted it or if you trusted this promise from God. How different would our lives be? How different would our spending be? Think about it. Our natural default, our natural default when we are are making decisions in our life, our natural default is self-preservation, is to make things better for us. If you have two jobs and you're looking at both jobs, what is one of the questions you're going to ask? What will be a better situation for me, right? Isn't that what we think about? What is gonna put me in the best situation? When, when we're thinking about a school for our kids, when we're, we're, we're trying to decide where do we wanna send our kids to school, we're thinking about what will be the best situation for them, but also what will be the most convenient and best situation for us? When we think about choosing a church, let's face it, even choosing a church, we go to a church and we say, you know what? I like the worship better there. That's gonna be better for me over there. Or I like to worship better here than where I was at last week, so this is gonna be my church. Let's face it, some even choose a church. You know what? It's gonna be better for me financially if I go to this church because they help with my schooling than if I go to that church. I mean, let's face it, we do that, right? If we're honest. Better, what is better for us? Therefore, I believe that if we really believed this promise, it is better to give than to receive, then we would be giving a whole lot more. Because we would look at our lives and we'd say, what's gonna be better for my life? Oh, the more I give, the better it would be. 
And yet because we doubt this promise that our lives will be better if we gave more, we end up consuming more. We end up keeping more. We end up holding back. Because we don't really trust. Jesus, I don't know if I really trust you that my life will be better if I have less monetarily. To be rich in a way that honors God is to be rich givers. So how are we going to learn to give more, to be rich givers? We learn by becoming intentional givers. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7 reads, Each one must give as he has made his mind up, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Other version says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The Bible is saying, you should decide. We should decide. This speaks, again, of this idea of giving being intentional. Not, well, someone came to my door today and asked for some money, and so I gave it to them. Not, well, you know, the Girl Scouts were selling cookies, and so I bought a box, or five, or ten, if you buy 10, I'll take a Thin Mint yeah, if you want to get those to me. We, I'm not saying that we shouldn't give on this, on, in, in, in a spontaneous way and in a spontaneous manner. But our giving should not be primarily spontaneous. It should be something that we have decided in our heart that we've thought about to whom we are going to give. We have thought about where we are going to give. We've thought about when we are going to give. We've thought about how much we are going to give. Here is the thing. When you think about where you are going to give, what you are going to give, whom you are going to give to, and how much you are going to give, then it is more likely that that giving is a reflection of your heart. It is a reflection of your heart. And you begin to get excited about it. When you start to think about where you can give and where you can bless, you begin to get excited about it. Christina's told me the story several times, and I've heard her tell the boys the story several times. It's her favorite Christmas story. Christina's not an animated storyteller like I am. She's never probably going to lay down on the church platform like I did a couple weeks ago. I know that shocks some of you, and you may still be recovering from that. I apologize. But in this story, Christina does get a little bit animated. She loves telling a story. She told me a story. Uh, I'll always say to Christina, oh, Christina, da, da, da. And she'll listen to the whole story, and I'll say, have I told you that before? She said, yes, <laughs> every year. <laughs> well, I can say that there's one story that Christina has told multiple times. Why? Because she's so excited about it, and that's this story. She'll always say, have I ever told you about my favorite thing to do at Christmas? Yeah. Go ahead, Christina. Tell me about it. And Christina's favorite story from Christmas is that when they were kids, they would find a family, whether in the neighborhood or in their school or in their church, that didn't have anything. Christina grew up in the mission field. She grew up overseas, and so there was a, an abundance of poverty around, around them and people that just literally had nothing at all. And so they would find young people, kids that didn't have anything at all, and they would go out and they would shop and they would buy things and they would wrap up these gifts and they would, they would put, put these gifts all together and then they would take them to someone's house or to where someone was living and they'd put them on the door and they'd knock on the door and then they'd, then they'd run away and Christina, as she's talking, you can hear them running away in her voice, the excitement of it. And she just is beaming as she's telling the story. Why? Because she got credit, because they came to her and said, oh, thank you for your wonderful gift. Let me pat you on the back for this. No, why? Because it was an exciting event for her because they had planned. They had, they had, they had, they had put everything together and then 
someone had received a blessing. Christina is describing there this idea that it is better to give than to receive. I don't know that I can ever remember Christina telling me one story about a gift that she received at Christmas. Never. But man, she's told me this story a lot of times. Why? Because it's better to give than to receive. It is better to give than to receive. But do we trust this promise? When we give intentionally, folks, when we plan, when we decide in our heart, it adds excitement. And we actually find ourselves becoming richer givers. Richer givers. So where do we start? How do we break this down? Where do we start? Well, we should start intentionally with where God tells us to start. And that is with the tithe. He asks us to start with the tithe. And this is where the rubber meets the road. It is bill time. Every one of you has to sit down and pay your bills, right? We all have to sit down and pay our bills. And there is the time when you're sitting down to pay your bills next time, just pause for a minute and kind of ponder what's going on in your heart. What's going on there? But it's bill time and we have to decide, we have to decide what are we gonna do? Are we gonna start with our bills? Are we gonna start with us? Are we gonna start with the government? Are we gonna start with the collectors? Or are we gonna start with God? Where are we gonna start? Why is this such a heart-wrenching time? Because we are faced with the decision we are intentional about paying our bills. Are we going to be intentional about giving and returning to our God? Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30 tells us that every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the land or of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Leviticus chapter 27 verse 30. That the tithe, that every tithe is holy to the Lord. Every single bit of it. So how do we give the tithe? Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10 says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now scholars agree that the storehouse was a temple. It was the church of the time. So we give our 10% to the church. In Adventism, this goes, our tithe then goes to the conference office and it helps to support the worldwide movement of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. It pays for my salaries here at this church. It pays for salaries of other pastors in this conference. It pays for other salaries of people around the world so that the gospel can spread. The, the tithe is to come to the church and go into the storehouse of God. This is where we start. This is where we start. And we do this, we do this because it's holy unto the Lord. Now, brothers and sisters, when I read something in Scripture and it says it is holy unto the Lord, that to me, as a Christian, does not sound like an option. That to me does not sound like an option. As a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ. Think about it from this way. The Bible says that the Sabbath day is holy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath. If I got up here as your pastor, and I said, look folks, it doesn't matter if you come here on Saturday or if you come here on Wednesday or Thursday, we don't really care. The day doesn't matter at all. Tomorrow, wait, not, we wouldn't even wait till tomorrow. After church, there would be a meeting convened and I would be summarily fired. Why? Because the Sabbath day is holy and you guys would say, we have a pastor that's teaching that the day is not holy, that it doesn't matter. We expect you to honor this day. 
if the Bible calls, what else does the Bible call holy? The Bible calls marriage holy. If I got up here and I said, you know what? I'm not really worried about sanctity of marriage. If, you, if you're thinking about getting divorced, go ahead and get divorced. People will be aghast. Even people that have been divorced would be repulsed by me saying that. They'd be upset. They said, a pastor can't tell people to not honor marriage, to not keep it holy. We would say, man, you better say the Sabbath is holy. You better say that, that marriage is holy. And then when I come and I say the tithe is holy, well, we say the Sabbath isn't an option. Yes, I affirm that, Pastor. Amen. Marriage, keeping our marriage vows and, and being loyal to our marriage, that's not an option. Yes, Pastor. Amen. You must give a tithe that is holy. Well, wait a second, Pastor. Don't be stepping on my toes. So we're define what is holy. and The Bible says that it's holy unto the Lord. So I should honor the Sabbath. It's holy. Amen. I should honor the marriage. It is holy. Amen. I should honor giving at least 10%. It is holy. Good enough. Let's face it. This is harder for us to amen than the other two. We can act like it's not, but the numbers speak for themselves. We can act like it's not, but the numbers speak for themselves. Adventists typically only give, and we're not different in this church, folks. Adventists typically give, on average, only 4% of their income, not just to tithe, but that includes all giving. That includes the offerings that they give and everything. That means we're actually giving less than 4% of what we label tithe. And studies show that, in fact, only 30% of Adventists in North America actually give a true 10% tithe. So that thing which God calls holy, we don't always treat as holy. And the more we have, I understand this, the more we have, the tougher it gets. When I was making $10 to officiate a basketball game, someone asked me for a dollar, hey, sure, no problem. When you make $10,000, suddenly giving 1000 is a little bit tougher. When you make $100,000, giving 10000 gets a little bit, what, tougher, right? It's a little bit more challenging. A million, 100000 10 million. I just want to make sure everyone's covered, all right, whatever. <laughs> it gets tough. So why does God need the tithe? He doesn't actually need the tithe, folks. God doesn't need the tithe. But he wants us to know. He wants us to learn. He wants us to trust the promise that it is better to give than to receive. How so? You see, the tithe teaches us to put Jesus first. It teaches us to organize our lives around him. In fact, I hope you see something, even a correlation a little bit in what I'm talking about today in regards to being a rich giver. As we begin, become rich givers, we are just modeling what Jesus has done for all of us. He made a plan to give to us. Long before any of us existed, Jesus made a plan to give to each and every one of us. He set a time when he would give, 31 AD. He planned how much he would give his entire life. He planned out to whom he would give all who are willing to say yes to him. All humanity, in fact, but all who are willing receive the blessing. Am I as intentional as Jesus has been in his giving towards me, in my giving? 
As I am intentional about giving, and as I learn to give more and more, I'm actually learning to better understand the gifts and the giving and the graciousness and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Folks, I know that pastors stand up and they say, hey, we need the money because if we don't, the gospel won't spread and da 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 and we don't have this. Let me tell you something right now, folks. The gospel has grown when there's been no money at all. So why the money then? Because Jesus is teaching us. Jesus is teaching us to better understand who he is and about his heart. How many of you have parents that that you look back on your life and you say, my parents sacrificed for me and my family? Can you raise your hand? Young and old are raising their hands. Now let me ask you, the adults, the adults in the room. How many of you, as you became an adult, and then had to make sacrifices for your own kids, better understand what your parents did for you. When we're a kid, we appreciate it, but when we're adults, we, we what? We have understanding of it, right? We have understanding of it. We give, we give because as we give more and more, we understand better the sacrifice and the gracious heart of Jesus Christ. Our hearts become more attuned with understanding his giving nature. Another reason why it is better to give than to receive is because it is an opportunity to learn total dependence on Jesus. And this is where the offerings then come in. You can give a tithe and you can give 10% for 40 years, but you're not really stretching yourself because guess what? I've learned about the human psyche and I've learned about humanity. Once we do something long enough, we adjust and learn to live within that realm, right? Right? We learn to live within that realm. That's why we have offerings, so that, so that we can continually be stretched to give, to grow more and more and more, to, 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 to be challenged, to think outside of ourselves, to see the things in the world, the things that are happening in, in Syria and, and the things that are happening in the Middle East and the things that are happening in, in Africa and, and things that are happening even in, in parts of D.C. and Baltimore. Think outside of ourselves and, and see that there's opportunities to give more and more and more. To look for opportunities even within the church where we can give more. People that are here in our church that are in need as well. God wants to show us. He wants, us to, he wants to start by showing us that he can do more with 90% than we can do with 100%. But then he wants to grow us and he wants to show us that he can do more with 85% than we can do with 100%. And he wants to show us that, that he can do more with 75% than we can do with 100%. And he wants to show us that we can do more with, with 50, he can do more with 50% than we can do with 100%. And so he keeps stretching us. He stretches us to give on every occasion, in every way. The offering system. The Bible calls us to give in all these ways. Ellen White in the book Patriarchs and Prophets states that the tithes and the offerings that the Israelite people gave were fully one quarter of their income. 25%. 25%. of their income. Now, if you haven't been giving anything, let me say this. Start with the tithe. Test God. The Bible says, it's the only place in Malachi 3. Test me in this. Test me in this. And see if I will not pour out the blessings of heaven. And you will find that God always 
passes the test and you will be blessed. And as you are blessed, and as you are blessed, and as you kind of become comfortable with that 10%, then you need to start giving more. You need to be challenged to stretch, become an even richer giver. And as you start to give more, you'll learn the truth that it is truly better to give than to receive. It is truly better to give than to receive. I was taught this lesson this week by my son, one of my sons. Landon, actually I'll start with Dayton. Dayton has always been a very generous boy. He's always given, given, given to, his, to the hilt. But Dayton comes home, and Christina corrected some of my points of the story and actually made the story better. So I was like, well, this is good. I told it in first service, and Christina's like, I need to correct your story, Chad. Um, <laughs> and she was correcting me. I said, well, that's great, because that makes it a better illustration even. Um, but she was telling me about it. But I was away. I was out of the country. And uh, Christina sent me a picture. She says, your boys are giving to those in need. And she just sent me that picture. And then I came home, and she told me the story. Well, Dayton came home from, from Spencerville Academy. He's a first grader. And Miss Kittleson, uh, has their, in their first grade class, they are sponsoring a child in need through World Vision. Through World Vision. And I am, praise the Lord for that. We want our kids to be taught that. And so thank you, uh, Michelle, for that. But he came home, and he was... Uh, said this is how much, and they, they're asking the families if each one can contribute a certain amount, a very small amount, but a certain amount each month to, uh, to assist with this child. And so Dayton told Christina about it, showed her the information, and Christina said, well, let's just all do it all at once. We'll pay it all up front so that then we don't have to think about it. We can just do it, and we won't forget, and we'll make sure that we, we, we give all that's needed. And she said, go get my wallet. That's what Christina told me this morning. Go get my wallet. And Dayton said, no, mommy, I'm going to pay for it. And so he ran to his room and he got his money. He got his money, took all his money, and he brought it down. And while he was there, Landon was paying attention to all this. And so he ran upstairs and he got his Christmas money. And he said, I want to give too. And so Landon gave his Christmas money. Between the two of them, they ended up giving more than they were actually asked. And they, they didn't care. They were okay with that. It's better to give than to receive. But, but here's, where, here's where I say that it's better to give than to receive. Dayton has always been very generous. Dayton will share. Dayton wants to give. Dayton, that's just the way Dayton is. Landon, this is, this is a new step in his journey. And Landon took all his Christmas money and he gave it to this project. Well, that's good, Landon. We're grateful for that. Well, what I found in my life that the more that I give, the more excited I am to give more. The more excited I am to give more. And so this week, as I was brushing my teeth, Landon walks into my bathroom and he said, Daddy, here's all my money. I want to give it to Jesus. And I said, okay, buddy. And I was probably in a rush, not paying as well. I said, okay, buddy, we'll do that. And I said, put it on the counter. He goes, I want to give it to Jesus now. He said, well, we'll give it to Jesus when we go to church. You know, just, just relax. Um, you can see that he's a Bengals fan, which means he loves his, my brother-in-law more than he loves me. Um, and I just said, we'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it right here in the bathroom, and I won't forget, we'll, we'll keep it right here in the bathroom. So this thing has been sitting in my bathroom. And Landon, on Thursday night, 
came to me again. He said, hey, daddy. And I love that he says this because it makes for great illustrations. He said, hey, daddy, when are we gonna break that thing open and give that money to the church? And I said, buddy, we'll do it on Sabbath. Well, he went from giving his Christmas money to now excited about giving all of his money to Jesus. Why? Because he, without any compulsion from his mom or I, or without anything we said, in his heart, he's intrinsically discovering that it is better to give than to receive. I wanna invite you to pull out your connection cards at this time. On the front, you have your contact information. If you're looking for a church, we'd love to be your church. Feel free to check that box. But on the back there, it says, my response to today's sermon. Jesus, I love you, and I want to be faithful to you. Hopefully, we can all check that box. Boom. What does that mean? What does that look like? Next one. Jesus, I understand that you have given unto me so that I will be generous, whether that is $10 or $10 million. Again, I want to make sure everybody's covered. I don't know your bank account, so I'm just making sure we're, we're broad enough. Jesus, I don't always trust the promise. It is better to give than to receive. Help me. If honestly you know in your heart, and I know at times in my heart, that it's hard to trust this promise, that it is better to give than to receive, ask the Lord for help. Jesus will help you in that. Jesus, Jesus isn't looking at us because we haven't given and said, oh, you're such a waste. No, Jesus wants to help us. He wants to grow us. He wants to, us to, to, to give out of this sense that he loves us and he cares for us, that he wants to be there for us. The next one, Jesus, I love you and I thank you in advance for teaching me how to be rich in a way that honors you in 2016. In 2016, let's be rich in a way that honors God. We give to all our first-time givers, we give a book here called The Treasure Principle. If you haven't received that book by Randy Alcorn, it's a great little book. We'd love to give it to you. We have some. Check that box, and we'll make sure you get a copy of that book. It'll be a blessing to your uh, spiritual life and to your spiritual giving. And then there, underneath that, for those that are willing, those that are, are, would, be, would be prayerfully willing to consider this, I want to give a giving challenge. I always like to give giving challenges in the church. We gave one last year. We want to do one again this year, giving challenge in 2016. I accept the challenge to return or continue to return 10% of my tithe to the Lord. If you accept that challenge, go ahead and check that box. You may be thinking right now, well, I don't know how I'm gonna do this. I have to go back and look at my finance. No, just make the decision in your heart and ask God to give you the strength to do it. Next one, I accept the challenge to give two to 3% of my local income, of my income to the local church budget. And then I put a plus sign because maybe some of you are already giving 2 to 3%. You've been doing it for a while and maybe God wants to stretch you another percent this year or in some way. Or maybe God wants to, maybe you haven't been giving 2 to 3% and you need to start at 1%. That's okay too. You can just check that box still. I accept the challenge to give 1 to 2% of my income to the SAA mortgage fund or plus. Here's another opportunity to give, another opportunity to, to to bless, to be a blessing. Maybe there's another area where God's convicting you that you need to give. In regards to your offerings, that's, that's between you and the Lord. That's between you and the Lord. But we wanna challenge you. We wanna challenge you to be rich givers in 2016. Not because 
The church will disappear if you don't give. But because one of our goals is to know Jesus and love Jesus more. And as I read scripture, the Bible is clear that as we give, our hearts become more and more like Jesus. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your generosity towards us. May we be generous back towards you in a way that honors you, Lord. Help us to be rich givers. As we receive, may we give. Lord, in our poverty, may we give humbly. In our prosperity, may we give humbly. And may all thanks and glory go to the name of Jesus. Amen.